You just know the liver everybody that is eight auto i am bo ransdell and this is hero hero go show episode 11 only two more to go in season one uh but we are going out with a bang ladies and gentlemen a uh, couple of notes uh first of all this is going to be the first episode where we don't have an interstitial piece um, there is not going to be the usual informative bit in the middle uh namely because uh we have discussed takashi miyiki uh, before on episode one, and we have discussed uh, manga and uh, the various forms thereof uh, back on the Uzumaki episode. So uh, if you want to hear the stuff I would talk about on this episode, uh, go listen to those, and it'll be pretty much the same thing. Um, that is just for this episode. Next episode, uh, we will be talking um, in in some detail, actually, about a cultural phenomenon tied to uh, the movie we're doing next week. Um, but enough of that nonsense. Um, let's get to tonight's movie. Uh, the, the movie, um, that I think is one of the creepiest movies we've talked about. I, I think people who listen to the show know my love of the film shutter. And this is along those lines. So I warned you all that Takashi Miyuki was due for another appearance this season. And here we are a loving spoonful of pearlescent. What the fuckery that adapts a Japanese manga onto the big screen. As always, this episode will be rampant with spoilers, and I would encourage you to watch the film before listening to this episode if you want to experience the full weight of Miyuki's violence-drenched movie with fresh eyes. For those brave souls who intend to soldier on with us, welcome our co-conspirator on the show, Andy Blockley. Andy, tell us where we can find you and why you would watch a movie like this. Oh man, this this is a this is such a strange movie. Um, well, I'm on the world's longest hiatus with podcasts. Uh, I can't even remember what it's called. <laughs> I was going to say podcast under the stairs. No, big horror and little podcast. Um, you can actually quite often find me on the podcast under the stairs. And me and Duncan are about to get a new show started as well, which is quite exciting. Um, talk more about that later on. But yeah, this movie is a strange movie, and I'd kind of forgotten just how weird it is. Um, until I watched it again and I thought oh my god there's so much going on like so many little plot points and strange characters I think even if you haven't really seen this film you could probably get away with listening to this review and it wouldn't particularly spoil it because I think there's so much information to take in by the time you then go to watch the film I think you just kind of I think maybe you need our help to just to kind of keep up with what's going on yeah I don't disagree with that at all this this reminds me a little bit of another Miyuki film Audition um, in which, you know, really the second viewing is the one where the movie kind of lands. Yeah. Uh, because you, you sort of, sort of know what's going on. Although when we get to the end of this movie, there are some radically different interpretations of, uh, of, of the final few minutes. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested to see what you thought of that because I kind of don't really know what I think at the minute about that. So it'd be interesting to see as we talk through the film as to sort of the conclusion that I get to by the end. Yeah, I, I certain I, I certainly have my own uh, my own personally held beliefs uh, when it comes to the ending of this. But I have uh, I I have found maybe my favorite interpretation that I don't agree with. Okay. But it it is the most bizarre interpretation. And yeah. but we'll we'll save that. Let's that's a little 
a, a little sousant of what is to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but all right, so let's let's tackle this movie kind of plot point by plot point and see if we can't hash together some sense. Okay. Um, so let, let's begin at the beginning in which we see uh, our, our titular character, uh, a young man named Ichi, mm-hmm. um, or one is the uh, the Japanese equivalent of that. That is the, the strange thing one. to call someone, isn't it? One. Hey, one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Juan, maybe. Yeah, it's, I, I and I, I, you know, I'll say right now, I've never read the, the manga for uh, Ichi the Killer, or oh, it's not Ichi the Killer, it's uh, like Kuro uh, something Ichi. And, um, and I, I, based on what I've read of synopses of the manga, I don't know that it would necessarily clarify anything. Okay. Uh, because, you know, I've heard the, the plot of that manga that's described as Byzantine. Mm. <laughs> um, and I would say that, you know, the movie follows form. Uh, but so, so Ichi, our first look at him is him masturbating outside an apartment where a pimp is beating the holy hell out of a prostitute. Yes, what an opening. I mean, so strange. I mean, just before that, you've got a really chaotic opening scene of kind of Japanese streets. The camera's speeding up and then it freezes and then it speeds up again. So it like, instantly disorientates you, doesn't it? And then it just throws this at you. You know, a guy kind of wanking off to somebody being raped. Yeah. And then the titles of the movie kind of manifest, like, you know, materialize in this big pool of jizz. Which apparently is real, according to Takashi Mika. I don't know who they got in to do that because it's a donkey-sized portion of jizz. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It certainly is. It is more than what you might refer to as a human amount. Yeah, it's a couple of months worth <laughs> stored up. <laughs> right. It might be one of those Dahmer-esque situations where it's just being collected for a time <laughs> uh, prior to use in the film. Uh, because, it's onto the pavement. Yeah, well, well, because you don't, you hesitate to think that the direction is like I need one of my gaffers to run over and masturbate on set real quick. Oh, that's a lot of pressure as well, isn't it? When you when the camera's running, I don't know if I could do that on, on command. Uh, I mean, I could and I have, but <laughs> but you wouldn't want to do it again. It's not right. It's not to be recommended. It's it's just not what I do, and also the union rates for it are not what you think they are. No, that's it. I mean, I don't know what kind of. I mean, is that a sackable offence if you've been told to do it? I don't think so. Oh no, not at all. I mean, it's the the Nuremberg defence at that. You get a bon- bonus if anything. Yeah, right. You get a little something special at the end of the year. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, and of course, this is totally out of context for the rest of the film. We only know now, uh, in retrospect, that this is our, our titular character. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's Miyuki starting the movie with a scene of kind of absurd violence and sexuality. Mm. And it's not the weirdest scene in the movie. <laughs> no, you're not stretch. saying something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like... In any other film, this would be the thing that people talked about, and you almost, not never, but it's rare that somebody's like, and the, th- the thing with the title coming out of all the all the cum? Um, yeah, by the time you've got to the end of this movie, you've forgotten that's even happened, because your mind is filled with so much of the bizarre activity. Yeah, yeah, and so, so after we get this, then we have uh, a cleaning crew, 
uh, who then have a discussion about, about Ichi. Like each, a lot of the front end of this movie is sort of building up the character of Ichi. He is this yeah. almost phantom-like legendary killer. And, uh, so our cleaning crew rolls into, um, this place where, uh, the opposing mob boss, th- this is really a mob story at heart. Yeah. In, or at least that is what all the weirdness is hung on is, uh, a, a, a mob war of, of a sort. And yeah, so th- we, we go into this apartment. It is, uh, the, the rival mob, mob boss, the Andrew family mob boss um who had been with a prostitute uh the mob boss is in a chair completely disemboweled uh the floor is uh the floor and ceiling for that matter quite a mess looks like a cow exploded in there <laughs> yeah the there are more than one instance uh in this film of someone just depositing 12 gallons of blood yeah, onto the floor and, and walls of, uh, of of their eventual, you know, the the site of their murder. Quite frankly, and yeah. yeah, it's you know, so we have all this conversation of like all we do these days is just kind of roll into places and mop up after Ichi. And doesn't one of those guys look like the Japanese Robert Czar from? Maniac? He does. He does. He's and got the biggest jaw I've ever seen. <laughs> I man, that is. That is a tough moniker to bear. The Japanese <laughs> Robert Zadar. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, I've always said, uh, it would take some doing for me to ever be known as the Spanish Shirley Temple. Uh, <laughs> although I've been making pains, uh, towards that end. But Here yeah. I thank you. Uh, but yeah, the Japanese Robert Zadar is a, a title that I don't know you want, but you're right. And, and they're also clearly shooting up prior to this. Which you know, it makes me laugh as well. They use the Dog the Bounty Hunter method of quitting drugs, which makes me laugh because I imagine that Dog the Bounty Hunter has got quite a colourful past himself. And every time they arrest someone, he's clearly consumed, like literally their entire life revolves around smoking crack. He goes, just stop. Oh, just stop. I hadn't thought to do that. That's a really good advice, Dog. I'll just stop. Yeah, because it's that simple. And uh, it just made me laugh because his mate says that to him. Why don't you just stop? Because I'm a heroin addict, it's not that simple. Yeah, the entire D.A.R.E. program here in the U.S. is based on that notion of just like, just don't, just stop. Well, we had in England um, probably uh, about 25 years ago now, there was a really popular um, like children's TV show called Grange Hill. It's like, set in a high school. And um, and they like released like a charity song called Just Say No. <laughs> it was supposed to deter people from doing drugs. I can't remember the song, but just say no. It's like, it doesn't work like that, people. Come on. Like, I yeah. don't understand this whole war on drugs thing. You can't, it's not as simple as just say no, is it? Anyway, I'm getting political and shit now. But yeah, so these guys are basically like on heroin. And to be fair, doing the job they do on a daily basis, I think you need something to take the edge off anyway. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would probably be more of an alcoholic. Uh, but of course it's for courses, you know, whatever suits. <laughs> yeah, but I, I get it. I get it. Um, so yeah, so uh, the, the the boss of the end, uh, Andrew family, uh, or you know Andrew, um, he has gone missing along with this prostitute and three million yen. Yeah, how much is that? Is that a lot of cash? Uh, not. Re- I think it's. Uh, I, I really don't think it is enough to pay for a prostitute for a couple of months. Maybe he was doing the whole pretty woman thing with her. 
Yeah, right, and flying her around, taking her nuts. So I needed a lot of cash. Right, learning what it means to love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's the other movie taking place that we don't see. Yeah, uh, just reading between the lines. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, though. I think I think there's a pretty woman element to this film, without question. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, now that we've got our... our our inciting incident. We have we have the disappearance of, of Anjo and, and the money and, and the prostitute. And enter uh, Kakihara, who is the uh, the enforcer, kind of yeah. the right hand man of, of Anjo. Um, he is a uh, a scarred and uh, be pierced. I'm not sure if that's a word, but it should be. It is now. I mean, you'd be forgiven, really, for thinking he is Itchy the Killer because he appears on all the artwork for everything, on like every DVD cover, it's him. And I know that's maybe because they don't want to give away the identity of Itchy, but when I first kind of knew about this film, I just assumed he was Itchy the Killer because he's on the box. And obviously he's not. He's just kind of, like you say, like almost the right-hand man, isn't he, of, uh, of the gang? Yeah, and, and I was the same way. And in fact, the weirdness of me seeing this movie for the first time was I saw the the poster art and then caught the last 10, 15 minutes of it Wow! at one point <laughs> with no other context. Okay. So mm-hmm. even then, I, I thought that I, – I walked out of the last few minutes of that movie thinking that Kakihara was, uh, was Ichi. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so, like, the, the whole spill at the end and all that stuff, I thought that I was witnessing the death of Ichi. And, uh, spoilers, Kaki Hara doesn't make it out of this thing. Um, yeah, and he is the most interesting character of the movie, I would say, by far. Yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, the opening shot of him is basically him standing with his back to the camera, taking a drag off a cigarette, and then blowing the smoke out of the side of his, well, the two, like, each cheek, basically. Yeah, the, these kind of gills that he's fashioned for himself. Yeah, and I mean, I know people have these body mods where they have like a hole in their cheek. How do you, how on earth do you eat or drink with that? Because I've seen that. That's an actual mod, isn't it? That people get where the, you know, like the uh, those giant plugs that people have in their ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get those in your cheek, and I've seen that. And I just think, well, how, I mean, you must just have to really modify the way you eat and eat really tiny amounts of food because surely that's just spilling straight out the sides of your mouth, isn't it? I, I think they come with tiny corks. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. You plug yourself up to eat and then you take it back out again. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and uh, maybe even like a little rubber stopper or something that you fit in there. A little bung. Yeah. 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 Maybe for job interviews, you pop it in and then. (laughs) And it's flesh colored so it doesn't, you know. Blends in a little bit and yeah. Right. Like it's those, uh, like those cheap press board bookcases that you put together that give you the little wood paneling stickers to put over the screws. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they're not fooling anyone, but you know, <laughs> right? It's it's not perfect, but it's you know, it's better than uh, yeah. No one's looking slip. at them and thinking they're a lovely bit of teak, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, wherever did you get this? Was this handed that is down some to wonderful you? mahogany? No, yeah. no, it's not. How old is this? <laughs> um, yeah, but and 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 so in addition, uh, Kakihara has uh, piercings at the corners of his lips to kind of hold the folds together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the scar running across the bridge of his nose and another one that runs uh, perpendicular to that. And, I mean, he's a striking figure. He, he dresses like the Joker. 
Um, yeah, he kind of does actually. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, and he's got this like wild mane of of blonde hair and uh, a Van Dyke. Um, it it like he is before he says a word or you know anything more about him, he is a fascinating character to just look at. Yeah, and then uh, we start hearing him talk, and he's a crazy person. Oh yeah, he's nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, so he I'll is. Tell you what, let me just let me just interject talking of um, uh, speaking of sort of how people sound. Just uh, sorry to interrupt you, but this is pretty funny. Like the first time I watched this movie, I um I downloaded it. Now, before anyone says right, torrent is ruining the film industry. I have two copies of this film that I've since bought, like an English one that I found out was cut, so I then bought it again. Um, like the the unrated US version, but the download that I got, it wasn't subtitled; it was dubbed. And you wouldn't believe how ridiculous they sound. They all sound Cockney. Like, they literally sound like they're from London, all of them. And there's an amazing scene about 15 minutes in where the, I think it's like the, I don't know if it's the head of the the gang who's kind of in charge now the guy's gone missing. But he's just basically giving someone a right good, like, telling off. And he's got this amazing gravelly voice where he, like, rolls all his R's. And I'm not going to try and do it, but it's almost like, oh, it sounds like he's growling. And in English, that just sounds like, hey, excuse me, you've really annoyed me, sir. <laughs> He's absolutely <laughs> shit. Because like, I downloaded it and my uh, my wife had watched this film and she was the one that recommended it to me. And we, when we realised it was dubbed, we were like, oh, okay, should we watch it anyway? And then when it got to that scene, Rach went, we've got to turn it off. Like, this, this simply won't do. Like, you can't hear these guys, these like really expressive Japanese actors talking in a really crap London accent. So I just had to, like, get rid of it and uh, wait for my copies to come through the post. And Kakihara just does not sound, like, none of them sound anywhere near. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping anyone listening to this podcast will have watched the, the, the proper version with the, you know, with the subtitles. So this is a good sort of point out now. If anyone's thinking of watching this dubbed, please don't, because they just don't get the voices right. They don't emote, um, and it just kind of loses any kind of power that, that these these actors have got. I think I like the Japanese person going off on one so much. If I ever go to Japan, I'm going to anger a Japanese man just so he can shout at me in that gravelly voice. I would love it. Yeah, although there is something about the idea of uh, Ichi the Killer as performed by a group of London chimney sweeps. (laughs) It's it's really strange. (laughs) That sounds kind of wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, because it's on the DVD. Like If you've got the DVD, just flick to the English and have a listen. It's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give that a shot because that sounds pretty great. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Kakihara is, um, convinced that Anjo is still alive and goes off on his mission to, to find, uh, his boss and the people responsible, uh, for spiriting him away. Um, the, one of his first stops is to, uh, the girlfriend of Anjo, a uh, sometimes English-speaking prostitute uh, named Karen. Yeah. And uh, along with that meeting, he also kind of happens upon the real villains of the movie, uh, which are, you know, the cleaning crew that we we saw earlier, and also a character named Gigi. Mm -hmm. And Gigi... uh, and, And... in a bit of irony, Kakihara tells them, like, hey, if you hear anything about Ancho's disappearance, let me know. 
Say what else as well. Just before that, it's quite an interesting thing. He, um, I don't actually, I don't know if we've got that far. He licks some money and, and he, he recognizes the taste of his boss's blood, which kind of, I think that might be a little bit later on. Where it, so there's obviously some weird connection with Kakihara because the, the gang just think he's done a runner, don't they? They just think he's like he's just fucked off, like because he's just had enough of like running the gang. And obviously Kakihara kind of says, "No, nah, I don't think that's you know I know this guy, and that's not what's what's happening at all." Right, yeah. The, again, the pretty woman thing, the rest of the group believes, you know, he's done his Richard Gear. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Kakihara is the only one who, who seems completely convinced. And, you know, and that is part of his psychology as well, mm. is that he is very dependent on Anjo in, um, you know, kind of a deeply sexual way, even though it's yeah. not necessarily a homosexual relationship. It is, it is in a way. Um, you know, it, you can argue that Anjo, even though, the, you know, we never see these characters interact, but there's clearly a bit of a father figure slash sexual satisfier in, yeah. in, in this character. And it's, um, I mean, creepy, I guess, uh, it might be a diminutive word for it, but. Creepy out of context, but in the context of the movie, it just seems completely normal, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and, you know, when we talk about this movie, it is such a a buffet of violence and, and weird... I don't want to call it sexual perversion, because that seems a bit disparaging. You know, it, it is certainly alternate sexuality and, and sexuality that is inexorably tied to violence. Yeah. And... And there, like, gender almost doesn't seem to matter in this movie. It is more about the satisfaction of giving and receiving violence. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. All right. So, but <laughs> the one layer of the onion is peeled back now, Andy. Uh, and so, uh, Gigi ends up saying that, uh, there is, a member of a, a rival clan, the the Funaki clan, there's a guy named Suzuki, and he says, I think maybe this guy had something to do with it. Yeah. At which point, uh, Kakihara, as one does in this situation, kidnaps uh, poor Suzuki. And when Suzuki uh, realizes where he is, he finds himself suspended by hooks and chains. Uh, much like the nipple treatment of a man called horse only more full bodied. <laughs> it's brutal. Like <clears throat> when I was a kid, like a couple of things used to scare me all the time. Quicksand. So I don't even know if that's real uh, and getting rabies. And then since watching hostel, I just have this horrible fear of like falling unconscious, a man waking up tied to a chair. And then this movie just trumped that and went one better. And now I'm terrified of like falling unconscious and waking up suspended <laughs> by hooks which is i mean that sounds bad enough and that's not even the start of this guy's sort of ordeal is it waking up hanging from the hooks is kind of oh god that's that's the that's the best thing that happens to him that day <laughs> yeah it really is uh because you know uh kakihara we quickly understand enjoys uh perpetuating pain yeah and so if you're if you fall into his clutches, you can ask for a quick death, but you ain't gonna get it. You're not gonna get one. I mean, and that isn't that like the scariest thing, really, because he obviously just has no empathy. 
But even worse than that, not only does he have no empathy, he actually enjoy, he gets off on the suffering. So, yeah, I mean, if you do ever wake up and Kakihara standing in front of you, oh, my God, you're fucked. Especially if you can smell oil burning in the background. As well. <laughs> yeah, so in, in, in this moment, to that point, uh, he, Suzuki is questioned by Kakihara. Um, when he doesn't get the answers he wants, he, he takes some handy-dandy uh, needles. Yeah. And, and these are the big-gauge needles. This isn't needlepoint. This is the... <laughs> The kind of needles you would use to say, um, pierce the testicles of a cow. Yeah. I'm I mean, not sure if that's it, a real it, thing, but that's what you would use a needle. Oh, no, it is. I mean, yeah, <laughs> if, if you were, um, you, you could hold it, you could pitch a circus tent and like, and uh, nail it into the ground with these spikes. And in the strongest wind, that tent is going nowhere. These are some <laughs> yeah. big spikes. And, uh, and so one goes through the guy's cheeks horizontally. Yeah. Uh, and he still has no information. So then we put a needle up through the jaw. Oh, and, yeah. And, and if you have as a viewer, any resistance, uh, or, or, or if this sort of, uh, visual bothers you, then this is your eject point. You know, like this is the point in the movie where it's like, okay, I yeah, find... it's not the first time these needles are used either, is it? Yeah, it's 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 and certainly not the last. And yeah, it's you've got to you've got to have a strong stomach or be the kind of person that can watch this and and sort of understand that maybe the director has a point and and it's just something you got to suffer through. But but even then, as you said, it's not the needles through his face. Still not the worst thing to happen to still not No, still not the worst thing. And if you think he's cooking a lovely fondue in the background, that is not what he's doing. <laughs> right. I was thinking maybe a little tempura is coming. That would be delightful. <laughs> and uh, no, instead, you know, it's it, it's our pal uh, uh, Kakihara uh, tossing a pot of boiling oil over the back of this guy as he's suspended uh, in midair by these hooks and chains and has needles through his face. It's just awful. Because it's pouring over his head and down his neck and, oh, fuck. And, and it, like, pooling on his back because of the way he's suspended and you, you know, you see the sizzling and all that. It's the flesh starts to cook and, oh, my God, it's it's fucking, it's brutal. It really is brutal. And, and so let's just quickly talk about how good the special effects are as well. I'm 100% convinced by that special effect. Yeah, that, there are definitely a handful of effects in the in the movie that are a little, you know, early CGI that aren't quite there and that kind of yeah. thing. But no, this is is fully practical and fantastic. Yeah, twelve hours in the makeup chair apparently for that guy. Yeah, it's oh man, yeah, it, it's convincing. And there, for a movie that goes radically over the top a bunch there are a handful of scenes that just come off as disturbing because of how, you know, realistic for lack of a better term, or at least within the context of the story, they're more grounded in reality because, you know, we also see a dude's face slide down a wall and that's a little silly. And, you know, you can kind of remove yourself from the violence when yeah, you that's see That's almost something. like cartoon violence in the context of this movie. But yeah, the, the, that torture scene, like literally from the moment that guy wakes up right to the, when the oil was poured on him. And, and just the blase attitude as well of Kakihara. Well, at one point, he really gets a bollocking. Like someone comes in and says, what the fuck are you doing? 
And he goes, I'm just doing a little bit of torture. What? What's your problem? Like, it's the most normal thing in the world. Like, he's just having a sandwich. Yeah, I got to get answers out of this guy, and this is the way I do it, and I'm good at what Sour I do. Roll. Yeah. Sorry. I'm enjoying myself. I mean, not that you asked, but I am. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so, uh, the, the rival gang kind of does step in at this point, and, uh, so Suzuki's boss, uh, who's the head of a, a rival, uh, arm of the mob, and, and they share the same building, which is interesting, but fair enough. Sure. I mean, yeah. politeness to the extreme, I suppose. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the Japanese for you. Very polite. Right, to a fault in, in some cases. But so, uh, so Suzuki's boss kind of dresses down Kakihara and, you know, demands that this porn business that has been taken away from uh, that family and is now in uh, under Anju's control or Anjo's control um, be given back. And Kakiara is like, well, we're not going to do that, but I'll, I'll let me do my penance for you. And in uh, what I can only imagine is a uh, a big middle finger to the end of old boy. Um, <laughs> so our uh, our pal Takashi Miiki has Kakihara uh, saw off his own tongue. Yeah. And and again, a really nice effect here. <laughs> it looks pretty convincing. It's good, and I think they kind of, I think one of them says to him anyway, like, one or two fingers isn't going to do the job here. They've almost warned him in advance, like, if all you're thinking of doing is cutting off a couple of fingers, like, you've, you've pit, like, you've fucking well out of line, so you're going to have to, like, you're going to have to go a little bit further than just a couple of fingers. And he goes so far that, like, they, he just freaks them all out, doesn't he, with that? I think that's probably the last thing they were expecting him to do. And I think it's, it reminded me of that scene in um, Fight Club where Lou comes down and kicks them out of the basement in the pub where they're all fighting. And he just fucking like almost throws up blood all over Lou's face, doesn't he? To like, you know, and, and, and just scares the shit out of Lou. And he just says, fuck it, you can stay. Like, just, you know, just leave me alone. You can fucking stay. And it's that kind of thing. Like the kind of guy that's prepared to cut his own tongue off as an apology. You need him on your team, don't you? You don't want to be an enemy of him. Yeah, and that's sort of what follows next. I mean, he cuts off his own tongue, he gives it to Suzuki's boss, and then immediately takes a phone call, um, which is pretty great. Uh, he can't really speak now, because he's just cut his tongue off. Right, but he's he's managing, at least, and, you know, and, and at some point had to, you know, pay a visit to a doctor of some sort, because he does get that sewn up pretty well. Mm. Uh, but... They end up uh, getting uh, this phone call that leads them to uh, a hotel room and a guy named uh, Kano, who is one of the guys from the cleaning crew that was all uh, hopped up on the goofballs. Yeah. And uh, he's he we find out later that he's had plastic surgery so that uh, Kakiara doesn't know him. But that explains the jaw, maybe. Right. And and that's also he, he ends up confessing to that. Um, and, but he's the one who eventually tells, uh, Kakihara about Ichi. He's, he's like, there is a guy named Ichi. He is the one responsible. Yeah. And I think this is the point when he finds the blood, because I think they're joking saying that he's got a crush on his boss. And this is where he finds like the, the blood, um, the bloodstained money that he kind of licks. And, uh, obviously what I said earlier. And, and that's when you realize there is a very fucking strange relationship, um, going on between these two um 
And I think is this the point when we find out that basically nobody can inflict pain on Kikihara and Kakihara like effectively enough apart from his boss, which is kind of boils down to the whole reason that he's so desperate to find him. I know that you talked about kind of the sexual element and stuff, but that's basically why he wants to find this guy because nobody else can beat the shit out of him the way he likes it. Yeah, yeah, and there's a moment where he uh, he tries to. Um, this is a, a little bit ahead, but you know, it, it, it's worthy to talk about this scene here that he even tries briefly a relationship with Karen, his, mm. you know, former boss's yeah. um, mistress. Um, because yeah, he's just desperate to find someone that can inflict the kind of pain that's going to satisfy him. Yeah. And and that's his thrust through the whole movie, and and why he ultimately becomes fixated on Ichi. Yeah, is that Ichi now represents the perfect sadist, which his boss did in his mind before. Mm. And and at, at a certain point in the film, the movie is really no longer a revenge movie. It is, the, you know, it's not Kakihara uh, trying to find his boss. It's Kakihara trying to find the person that can satisfy him. Yeah. And, you know, even though it has all these mob story trappings and, you know, all these characters kind of double crossing one another and that kind of thing, which kind of makes the story more confusing than it needs to be because the, the the overarching story is these two characters that are on a collision course with one another. One who is in theory, a perfect sadist, one who is a a, a perfect masochist and what that ultimate meeting is going to be like. And and it's here that that journey sorts of uh, sort of starts uh, for Kakihara in in terms of finding Ichi, and at this point we also get a flashback to uh, the opening again, and we see that Ichi ultimately pushes his way inside the the motel room or the hotel room that we saw earlier apartment, and ends up saving the prostitute kind of. From the guy that was beating the shit out of her, um, you know, he he ends up killing that guy. Yeah. By... So did you think that this was going back to the start of the movie? I'd assume he'd just gone back for another look, and she was getting raped again on a separate occasion. Oh, um, I yeah, I thought that this was we're now that we've named Ichi in the story that we're seeing a little bit more of this origin story and also like a catch up to kind of yeah where we were earlier. Okay, cool. And, 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 yeah, and also setting the stage for, like, the psychosexual stuff going on in Ichi's head. Yeah. Um, because it, it's at this point, like, the, the, uh, pimp kind of confronts Ichi, who cries every time he's about to murder someone. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Which would also be my move. And, <laughs> uh, but he's. It's an emotional time. <laughs> well, for any young boy, uh, for I everyone guess. involved, really. <laughs> Yeah, for those being murdered, it's emotional, sure. For those watching, uh, I think a, a young kid named uh, Takeshi could tell you about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he he has this, like, childish response to the, this violence because his whole psychology, you know, which we'll, we'll get into, is that he was a bullied kid and can't tolerate bullies, but that may be bullshit, but it's still what he believes. Yeah. And so he has this very childlike response. He's kind of pushed into the violence 
in a weird way, but once he begins, it's kind of all over. And so he ends up perfectly bisecting this pimp. Yeah. And which is one of the more cartoonish moments of, of the film, because first of all, the blade is not long enough to do this. No, uh, not so. No. The effects work is a little bit clumsier here. It's not, it's not the, the practical. Yeah, it's one of those ones where they kind of go, well, CGI is just about available. Should we use that? Well, it's going to save a couple of days. Right, we'll use it then. And it just kind of didn't turn out as good as... I mean, it probably looked okay maybe 15 years ago, um, but it's just not aged well, has it, that? It hasn't, but I, I think the effect still works. It's a nice enough... Uh, or the effect of the effect um, is is good enough that it's like, okay, well, I understand that Ichi is now capable of this extreme violence. Yeah. And then he tells the prostitute that, hey, um, you know, he beat you up all the time, but he seemed kind of mad at you. Um, but I can beat you up instead. Which is probably not what she had in mind, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's being saved from a pack of dogs by a pack of wolves, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and so the the prostitute fights back and then Ichi murders her as well. Yeah. And uh, so Ichi, needless to say, is not presented as someone who uh, has a, a healthy psychological life. Um. And uh, exhibits a propensity from vi- for violence that maybe would be uh, one might call it American in its stature uh, for just being able to uh, straight up murder someone without any, any concern. Yeah, um, I mean, I think he does kill her by mistake, um, doesn't he? It's sort of because she kind of goes in with a baseball bat, and he kind of swings around, and the next thing he's kind of slit her throat. He almost seems regretful, but then he does get a hard on. So <laughs> I don't know what to believe. Yeah, well, but that's kind of the push-pull of every murder that Ichi commits is, I don't want to kill somebody, now you're coming at me and I have to defend myself, and I'm also just a human weapon. Yeah. And now I've I've accidentally killed everyone in the room in horrible ways, and I feel kind of bad about it, but I also got a little chub. <laughs> yeah. So, like you do. Um, He's almost a little bit surprised, almost like, aha, <laughs> this again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and there's there's an element of shame, obviously, that comes with it. That you know, you see scenes of him where he has, uh, where he gets an erection, either just thinking about violence or or whatever. And Gigi is uh, using that to manipulate him as well. Uh, yeah, totally. But uh, but before we get back to Ichi, um, Kakihara has now been kicked out of you know the mob, the syndicate. Yeah. And his crew d- ends up going with him. One would assume because they just don't want hit to face his wrath. You know, like well, if you don't the roll thing, with isn't it? You know, like you've just got to keep him on side. It's a bit like, you know, the guy that, like earlier, the guy that cuts his tongue off is not a guy you want to fucking mess with. And what makes me laugh as well in that scene, the guy who he's tortured earlier is kind of milling around in the background all bandaged up. <laughs> Obviously survived. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and he's given the tongue as well. Like, you know, well, here's his tongue. Uh, I hope that makes everything okay. Not really. Right. Like, meanwhile, I'm forever, you know, horribly disfigured. 
Not to mention the fact that I probably have no sensation left on my back. Oh God, yeah. And and you know, not for nothing. I mean, this is getting to the the right of the decimal point here, but also holes in my face. I mean, that's not the worst of it, but that happened too. So, yeah, I mean, poor guy. You know, like you, maybe he, he would have been better off dead. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, so you know, Andrew's gang uh, ends up rolling with uh, Kakihara. And again, all under the premise of we've got to find our boss and avenge him, but that's, uh, avenge him, but that's not what's happening anymore in Kakihara's yeah. head. Mm. And so then Suzuki gives Gigi a million yen or promises him a, a million yen to kill Kakihara. And then we see that Gigi is actually the guy who is manipulating Ichi. Yep. And that his grand plan is really to pit these two rival gangs against one another, um, you know, for his own personal reasons, his own personal gain. And um, Ichi is manipulated because he has been implanted with false memories by Gigi about this rape that he witnessed that he he did nothing to stop, but became sexually aroused by. And... That he is, you know, sworn to uh, to stop bullying as a result of this. Although I don't know that I would necessarily classify rape as bullying. <laughs> it's a bit more. <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe that's a, a step up the ladder. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I think when I first watched this, I assumed that he was it, the guy is Itchy's father. Because you don't think you ever really find out what the exact relationship is, do you? But it seems almost like a bit of a father-son thing going on with them two at first. Yeah, much like, you know, Anjo and uh, Kakihara, there is a, a father-son dynamic. It, it might be literal. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, regardless, he serves as the surrogate father, the one who's trying to, um, you know, very cruelly manipulate this psychologically damaged guy. We don't necessarily know the truth of what damaged him initially. Um, it, it could have been nothing. You know, this this could all have been concocted by Gigi. Uh, but another yeah. scene quickly that just made me laugh. It's a bit of a slapstick thing, but I forgot to mention it earlier. The guy that's in the bandages is kind of milling around. Like Kikihara gets like kicked out, so like leaves the restaurant. And the guy obviously kind of moves in the path of the doorway and then Kakihara comes back in and knocks him over again and just kind yeah. of glances down at him on the floor and it's like, oh man, it's kind of funny, you know, the guy can't get a break. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it, ugh, poor Suzuki. Um, so Ichi ends up running across the son of Kaneko. Uh, who is one of Ichi, not Ichi's, I'm sorry, Kakihara's guys. Like, mm -hmm. Kaneko is a former cop who lost his gun and was kicked off the force. Um, the Anjo gang actually brings him in. Yeah. Uh, they, they help him out. They actually, um, like, help him after he's getting the shit kicked out of him at one point. Yeah. And, uh, Takeshi is Kaneko's son. Mm -hmm. And he's being bullied. And as luck would have it, Ichi comes along and at first doesn't help the kid until the the bullies start kind of screwing with uh, Ichi's bike. 
Yeah. And then he uh, he karate kicks him, one of the kids, which is pretty wonderful. I, I don't know what it is, but I love it uh, when an adult hits a child in a movie. Yeah. Why not? I mean. <laughs> we're, we're, everything else in this movie is taboo, so let's just beat the shit out of a kid, too. I mean, nothing's off the table, is it, really, with this movie? Anything goes. So, yeah, let's kick. I'm surprised he didn't do more to the kid. I mean, the kid got off lightly, to be honest, some of <laughs> which he's capable of. Just a little kick to the stomach. Not really that bad. In the yeah, in the grand scheme of things, if you run into Ichi the Killer, and all you've got uh, to to say for it is you know maybe a bruised rib, then you're having a good day. <laughs> you, yeah, you have won the Ichi lottery. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so uh, you can walk away doing an air punch. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like I get to live my life now uh, instead of being a face stuck to a wall somewhere. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so. Gigi ends up getting uh, Ichi to go into um, one of the holdouts or, uh, one, you know, kind of a, a safe house, a safe apartment uh, for the Anjo gang. And then, of course, he ends up murdering all of them um, in usual Ichi fashion of, I don't want to do this. I'm going to start crying. And now all of you are dead. Uh, yeah. And we, we don't see it the first time, do we? But this time, obviously, we do kind of get to uh, see, you know, guts flying everywhere. Like you said earlier, the face sliding down the wall, which kind of makes sense, you know. Like it, it does, it works because it does, it, it's just crazy. Like obviously, someone is literally like, off screen just throwing stuff around, aren't they? But you know, it kind of it, it works with what she's capable of. Now we've seen what he can do with that blade on his foot, cutting person's face off. You're like, yeah, I'm on board with that now. Yeah. And it, it's one of the scenes that reminds me a little bit of uh, the, the Daredevil series on Netflix in that you you basically just have a shot lingering in a hallway and are seeing blood and viscera and body parts and people come flying out of the door um, as Ichi does his thing. It's kind of cool. Did you watch Banshee at all? I did not. Oh, okay. There's a scene in like the final series where like the, a guy enters a room full of guys. The camera kind of does a 360, and you don't really see anything. You just hear noises. And as the camera kind of swings back round to the guy, everyone else is just fucking dead on the floor around him. And it's kind of cool because like you don't really always need to see what's going on. It's sometimes it's cool that you don't see it. Yeah, yeah, and you know there's implied violence in, in this scene for sure. But, you know, like we said, there's also a face slamming into a wall and sliding down. So it's not it's not as demure as all that. But uh, and yeah, that's probably a word that you will not associate with Ichi the Killer is demure <laughs> yeah. as as if Ichi the Killer is the cinematic equivalent of a young girl on her first date. Um, <laughs> nervous and excited. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. On his way out, though, Ichi runs into uh, Takeshi, Kaneko's kid, and uh, Takeshi thanks him for helping him out, and Ichi, of course, uh, can't relate to anyone on an emotional level and freaks out and splits. Yeah. And But it, it, it's kind of fun because then we have the wraparound of, of that where uh, Kaneko finds Ichi at one point being beaten by a brothel owner for yeah, you know there's a nice little series of flashbacks isn't there that kind of shows like you know this bullying bullying rescue kind of scenario play out in a, from a couple of different characters perspectives 
Yeah, and you know, in this case, it's Kaneko kind of not saving Ichi, but but certainly helping him out. And it, yeah, there's all these strange father son relationships, you know, with uh, Kaneko and uh, Takeshi, and you know, Anjo and uh, uh, Kakihara and uh, Gigi and Ichi, and all this stuff. It, you know, it's all these kind of father son um, dynamics with just poor choices made in all of them. Like even with uh, Kaneko and, and Takeshi, you know, Takeshi is, uh, seems like a, a good enough kid, but Kaneko is constantly telling him like one day I'm just probably not going to come home. And then it's up to you to handle things. And that's just a horrible thing to tell a child. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's horrendous. I mean, it's one of those things in the context of this film, because there's so much weird shit happening. It doesn't really hit home that hard. I don't think, but when you say it as like an isolated thing, yeah, imagine hearing that as a kid. I mean, fucking hell. Like you put your dad telling you that all the time. It's, it's horrendous really. Yeah. And so now that, uh, Kakihara's men are largely dead, he's still got a handful. But a lot of them are, you know, shredded by Ichi at this point. Yeah. He ends up calling a couple of cops in that are, are in his pocket, uh, named Jiro and Saburo, uh, who are twin brothers. And they're, <laughs> they're sent to help find a prostitute that is connected with Gigi, kind of. Yeah. But, uh, so Mew Mew is her name. They end up finding her, uh, and, uh, Jiro tortures her, doesn't get any information. And then Saburo, uh, afraid that too much weirdness is happening without him in this movie, puts on animal ears (laughs) and then sniffs her, her, uh, her crotchal region. And then seems to be able to track down this guy, uh, a guy <laughs> he named. Knows where he is, just from he's like, yep, yeah, I know, I know this now. I can. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty gross, really. And the nipple see the nipple torture scene, is fucking horrendous. Like, I don't know if you, you have you seen the uncut version of this. Uh, I don't. I mean, I've seen the the two hour nine minute. Is that... Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think that's your important basically where they pull her, her nipple and then like run a big knife across the table and just slice it off. Yes, yes, I have seen that. <sighs> uh, it, yeah, it's it's horrific. I mean, it's it's weird to kind of gloss over some of the these horrible things, but it's just happening in every scene. Yeah, it is. I mean, the only difference basically between, because I had the, first of all, I bought the, the cut version, not realizing it was cut because it was like a two disc special edition. So I just assumed it would be uncut. It wasn't. So I then had to buy the region free import. And I watched them pretty much like, cause I gave this movie two sittings pretty soon. So I probably watched it about a week apart. So I noticed. And the only differences are really is the sexual torture and the sexual violence is extended. So you don't really miss out by seeing the cut version. You just miss. A bit of extra fucking rape, a little bit of extra sort of having her sh- have the shit kicked out of her on the floor. Um, so you know you don't you're not missing much. But like you say, there's so much of this horrendous shit going on. It's just so commonplace, isn't it? By the time you're sort of halfway through the film, yeah, and and that's characteristic of the manga as well because this is something we talked about on the the Kuroneko show that um, the Japanese censorship board had you know three rules for. Uh, what you can't show in Japanese cinema. Okay. And it was 
naked genitals, penetration, and I want to say pubic hair. Okay. Uh, were the three things and everything else was cool. And that's why like sexual violence towards women tended yeah. to be so much more commonplace because you could show that there was nothing uh, against the, the censorship rules about violence. Like you could be a woman to death in a, a comic or on screen and that was fine. You just couldn't just show the bush. <laughs> yeah. You just couldn't show somebody having sex with like the rape scenes aren't as graphic as the scenes of violence, you know, no. and, you know, and not that rape isn't violence, but like the sexual component of that is far less are far more hidden than the violent aspects of it. Yeah. And yeah, it's weird. It, it, it's a strange cultural thing. And, and it's at this point, I'm almost reluctant to keep bringing it up, but almost every episode, there's just a moment of like, yeah, women get the short end of the stick in these movies. There's no getting around that. Like there's not, even the the strongest female character, and, and this is actually kind of the scene we're at, um, the strongest female character is probably Karen, who's the yeah. prostitute, who's, you know, Anjo's mistress and is also working with Gigi. And she she learns from Gigi, you know, we kind of get the backstory of him using these, like, post-hypnotic suggestions yeah. and implanting memories and all that stuff so that Ichi's mind is just this mess of fiction and some reality, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, the poor guy just has no sense of what's real and what's not. And, and, um, but Karen then tries to seduce Ichi, um, which let's just say as a rule of thumb, if there is a crazy pants killer, uh, who cries and masturbates during murder sessions, Trying to seduce this person is maybe not the best idea. No, and certainly do not use reverse psychology because it will it will go over his head. He will miss the point. <laughs> right. And, and he does, much to her oh, misfortune. Because um, it's funny because you almost hear like the thing in his head. He's kind of going, well, hang on a minute. So that woman earlier didn't want me to rape her, but she said she did. But she was kind of lying. And he just kind of has this really fucked up, twisted logic where he thinks, well, hang on a minute. If this Karen woman's asking me to do this shit, then obviously she must want me to do it. Well, yeah. and she's posing as the girl who was raped in this false memory of his. Yeah. And saying, you know, I wanted you to join in. Like, I didn't want you to, but I did want you to. And it's yeah. that, again, this weird sadomasochistic thing of, you know, I it's the pain that I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, and if you do it because you care about me, I don't want that because I need you to not care that you're hurting me. Yeah. So Karen digs the fantasy. Um, and if she takes it a bit too literally, doesn't he? Yes. And then, uh, like you said, he gets the, the wires crossed and he's yeah. like, so you're telling me not to kill you, but that means you want me to kill you. It's a real <laughs> no means yes kind of scenario like, here. Like the episode of The Simpsons where Homer has that argument with himself about reverse psychology. Well, don't use reverse psychology then. Oh, okay, I will. <laughs> right, right. And uh, and so Karen uh, ends up getting uh, all murdered by Ichi. But and she gets all fairly easy. It's just kind of a throat cut. Uh, yeah, I mean, she the, the foot comes off, and then it's all over pretty quickly after that, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. She she, she does get her leg uh, like at the mid calf taken off, and ends yeah. up hopping down the hallway before he finally kills her. Um, 
So let's get to the last real set piece moment of this movie. Uh, let's just talk about as well how excited Kakihara is so excited to meet Ichi. He's carrying around a Polaroid of the of the massacre from earlier on that he just kind of looks at almost with a whimsical smile on his face, which is hilarious. Well, yeah, and it and it's clear that we've made the shift at this point from caring about what happened to his boss to just like I Ichi is the guy I need in my life. And he is, I think it's that thing of just wanting to die <clears throat> a good death, you know, but like in 300 where like as long as they fucking die in battle and they die honorably, like they're fucking happy. And that's kind of what Itchy wants, really, um, when it boils down to it. He just, you know, if, if he if he ends up getting killed by uh, Itchy, you know, Kakihara, if he gets getting killed by Itchy, then all the better. He just can't wait, can he? He's literally like a kid on Christmas morning looking forward to this. Yeah, well, he's he, he thinks he's going to be killed by the most sadistic person that he's ever heard of. Yeah. And, and yeah, that is, you know, that's Christmas for a masochist, um, which is actually putting out the presents and not letting them open them. Mm. Um, and that's in a weird way. That's kind of what happens in this movie. Uh, uh, yeah. So Ichi has been told by Gigi, uh, Gigi, uh, but <laughs> Gigi. I'm glad uh, you're keeping track with the names because uh, <laughs> I'm. Uh, is, I mean, I don't know about the people at home listening to this, uh, how they're coping. But it's, right, it's a, it's a tough film to follow, isn't it? We'll have a, uh, a a spreadsheet set up that will show. Uh, we'll get the Vizio app out and show everyone's <laughs> yeah. connection to one another. But so, all right, so Kaneko, who is the disgraced cop who's working for uh, Kakihara. Kakihara himself, Ichi, and uh, Kaneko's kid, Takeshi, are now all on this rooftop uh, yeah. of this building. Uh, Gigi is also wandering around this building, but he's not on the, on the rooftop. And Ichi has been led to believe that Kaneko is his brother and ends up confronting Kaneko who then shoots him in the leg. Mm. And as a result, uh, Ichi kills Kaneko by, you know, using his uh, uh, sort of reverse uh, skates. Yeah. And cuts his neck open. And again, we get about 14 gallons of blood out of the guy before he finally drops. Yeah. And but But dies in front of his own son. After having told him, like, one of these days, I'm not going to come home. And, and his well, son... At least, he made, at least he made good on his promise. <laughs> right. You're right. Not coming home tonight, is he? No. Uh, at least not in uh, in the manner that uh, one would hope uh, your father returns. No. Um, so, yeah, he's... So, Takeshi sees all this. And now it's kind of between Ichi and Kakihara, which is the... the 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 conflict that we've been waiting for the entire time, like yeah. this whole movie has built to this moment, mm-hmm. and it is uh, one might call it a flaccid uh, confrontation because uh, poor Ichi is just devastated by the thought that he has just killed his own brother, yeah, and and in front of his brother's kid who he has this you know, somewhat affectionate relationship, at least probably the most decent relationship Ichi has to another human being in the movie yeah. is uh, Takeshi Kaneko's kid and has, has murdered his would be brother in front of his would be nephew and is just now inconsolable. 
Mm-hmm. So Ichi, very disappointed, or not Ichi, uh, but Kakihara, who's very disappointed by all this, tries to he's get dev- the guy up. Yeah, he's devastated, isn't he? He's like someone, he's just like, literally like he's had this winning lottery ticket burned in front of him. He's He's properly like moping around. Yeah, yeah, like he drops his needles and tries to get the guy to his feet, and he's just like, come on, man, like get it together, we're supposed to, you're supposed to kind of kill me here. Which is a strange thing, really, because if you're having to carry a guy to his feet who's crying, surely it's already, the fantasy's already been shattered. Yeah, but yeah. he still doesn't want to let it go, does he? He's still, like, he's still, come on, get to your feet, and it's like, I think, I think it's his over, mate, I think you've got to kind of let this one go. Well, so, which he kind of does, he takes things into his own hands. Yeah. And and the last thing that I think in this movie that you can kind of call for sure a thing that happened. Yeah. Is that he takes his needles and pierces his own eardrums so that he has now drowned out all silent or all all sounds from the rest of the world. I think in the in the in the crying he just can't stand the thought like the sounds of itchy bawling his eyes out as well. I think it's probably his motivation for that. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think it's I've got this guy who I built up so much and and kind of thought was my redeemer in a way, like yeah. fi- a, a guy that I can finally either be killed by or at least be you know tortured by or something. Yeah, and, and it's just this mess of a of, of a guy, and uh, so he he <laughs> inserts the uh, the needles in his ears. And then when he looks up, he sees that Ichi is standing there with uh, the kid's head in his hand mm-hmm. and is limping along. And then um, there's a bit of a scuffle between uh, Kakehara and Ichi. Ichi swings his leg at him. Kakehara catches it, but not before it kind of splits his forehead. Yeah. And then he does a, a comical balancing act on the rail of this uh, apartment building. Yeah. And, you know, it's a real pinwheeling the arms and whoa, whoa, whoa kind of thing. <laughs> it really is, yeah. And then falls and on the way down is thinking, like, this is great. This is what I wanted. Like, you know, it's not perfect, but this is pretty great. This is great. Yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah. And then and it falls to his death. Um, then Gigi finds him at, you know, the bottom of this stairwell where he's fallen. Um, but he's got no more wound in his head. Mm. And then the next thing we see is a series of images that are like, it's, uh, Kakihara in a blue lit bathtub, uh, opening his mouth, uh, all wide, you know, without the piercings in. So he, you know, he looks like a monster. And then Gigi hanging from a tree as school kids go by. And then a, a kid turns around and it's Takeshi. There you go. And that's kind of it. And let's not also forget, like, what's the scene where Gigi just, like, derobes and he's, like, a really muscular bodybuilder and he just starts bodybuilder posing for no reason? Yeah, that was another of um, uh, Kakehara's henchmen. You know, kind of the older guy who at one point in the movie reflects that he he probably could have gone into sales at some point and, and been better off. Is that um, not Gigi? No. That, no, it's Gigi that kills that guy, the bodyguard. 
Okay. But, yeah, but G- yeah, you're right. Gigi does this like through the whole movie. He's this kind of you know robed, somewhat smaller guy by all mm. appearances. And yeah, and then takes off his robes, and yeah, and and he does look like you know Mister Japan. <laughs> uh, but it's it's kind of hysterical. It's it's a really bizarre touch to it's add. So out of the field, and yeah, yeah, strange, strange. Yeah, in especially in the context of all this like super violence happening, all of a sudden this guy just whips off his, his robe and it, and and actually flexes and poses for a second, pulling the double bicep. The yeah, thing, Arnie's, Arnie's fake, you know, famous double. You know, it's, why it's so fucking strange. It really is. Yeah. So and and the movie ends on that note, uh, or not the of uh, uh, Gigi and his muscles, but it ends with. You know, Takashi, um, you know, giving this kind of mournful look as he turns back to look at the swinging body of Gigi. Yeah. And so now, now we, we have to try to figure out what the hell this means. Yeah. So at the beginning of the show, you, in fact, teased the idea that you have uh, your interpretation of this film. I, I, I certainly have mine. Um, but let's hear yours first. You show me yours. I'll show you mine. Okay. Um, mine's really boring, to be honest. I just think uh, Kakihara just pushed a little bit too hard and killed himself with the needles. And the rest of it is just kind of his almost dying fantasy of, uh, you know, him getting what he wanted um, and dying or maybe just kind of staggering and falling off the building. Um, but kind of reinterpreting that in his head as, you know, something wonderful and sort of constructing this almost fantasy that, you know, Itchy's done that to him and he's responsible because he just can't face the thought that he's killed himself. Um, I'm hoping you can do a bit better. Well, my, mine is similar, I suppose. Uh, it is, yeah, that I, I think that once once Ichi starts crying on the ground and uh, Karehara can't uh, get him up, or Kakehara, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I think he ends up, I, I think he accidentally backs off the rail. Mm. And, but yeah, I do think that the whole last confrontation, it, it's like him imagining what that conflict would have been like perfectly yeah. on his way down. Yeah. And that the, the later images are, you know, uh, we see, uh, Kakihara in the bathtub after he is presumably, presumably died. Mm. Um, but he's in this bath, they're chains hanging from the ceiling, but he's also not being hurt or tortured, tortured in any way. And, and that, that is his personal hell is to not be tortured. Okay. Yeah. And then Gigi hanging from the tree is either him understanding that Takeshi is coming after him. Okay. Yeah. And and kills himself instead, or it's Takeshi himself getting vengeance for the death of his father. Mm. Um, and I think you can play that either way. Yeah. The best interpretation I've, I've read is the most ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Which is that Takeshi is a telepath. Yeah. That has inserted these images of uh, Ichi attacking... Kakihara into Kakihara's brain so that he ends up killing himself. Yeah. 
and then does the same thing with Gigi and, and basically controls him to, to hang himself. And what I like about this interpretation is that one, it comes out of nowhere because at no point in this movie does telepathy seem to exist. No, but you have got the kind of the whole concept of the, the these false memories, these false ideas being put into Itchy's head. So I suppose it's not completely out of left field. It's it's the not telepath. Com- the tele the telepathy certainly is. Yeah, it, it's not the. It's the most ridiculous of the interpretations I ran across. Yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, like you know, much like audition, uh, and not to keep bringing up an episode that's already happened, but. Audition is a movie that has two basic interpretations, I think. Yeah. You know, one one being that this is all in uh, the main character's head, that, you know, the, the, the monstrous woman of the film actually was never all that monstrous. He just invents all this, all this stuff as he thinks about the guilt of replacing mm-hmm. his wife and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and the other being that it's more literal and that she actually is a monster. But in this one, it's more like, well, an, an interpretation isn't really the point, I don't think, of of what the events really were. I think it's more an idea of an examination of the ties between violence and pleasure. And in a weird way, I think it's kind of Miyiki himself saying, I'm going to show you this violence. And you're going to take some pleasure out of that. And then at the end of the day, in these last scenes, we're going to try to figure out if that was worth it. Mm. And trying to make you as an audience complicit in that, because obviously it does show you some really awful stuff. And there's this recurring theme of bullying. And I don't know if like uh, the the child character has kind of been named after Mike, hasn't he? Yeah. So Mike had these like bullying issues, but there's such a recurring theme of bullying and people being saved by bullies and then people avenging the bullies kind of running throughout the whole movie. There is. And there's also, I I would argue that the initial scene that we see of Ichi masturbating outside the window as he's watching this prostitute being beaten, that in many ways, Ichi is the surrogate for the audience. Hmm. Of he is the guy that we see being, <laughs> all right, this is going to go deep. All right, so he's the guy that is being aroused by seeing this violence much as as an audience. We are participating in the violence by witnessing it. Yeah. And taking some kind of gratification out of that. Mm. Then Gigi is then the director, Mi- Miike himself. Okay. Who is manipulating us by injecting all these false images and false, mm. uh, you know, uh, the narrative being somewhat suspect and, and saying that doesn't matter. What matters is where we get. It doesn't matter that I, I may have deceived you to get to this place. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're going to get the violence that you wanted to see. Mm. Yeah, totally. And as well, like as a viewer of horror, and obviously we're both big horror fans, I sometimes do ask myself why I enjoy watching these horrendous things. Because you are complicit in it. You know, if people didn't enjoy watching this kind of shit, it wouldn't get made. And obviously a hell of a lot of people do like watching stuff like this, which is why films like this are getting made and why they are so popular. And it is a 
It is a really strange one because I think you touched on it earlier. It's not necessarily sexual gratification because although um, Karen has an orgasm at one point in the film helping Kakihara tear a guy's face off and that's almost what they bond over, there's never really anything to indicate that Kakihara's getting any kind of sexual satisfaction out of the violence. That really is just itchy, isn't it? It really is, yeah. I mean, like, you know, at this point in in my uh, extended and somewhat pained analogy at this point, that, you know, Kakihara is, you know, he is every character in a movie. The the guy that wants to be hurt and can't be. Mm. And we as an audience are rooting for that. Like, we, we want him to get that satisfaction because we want to see it, yeah. you know. And that final confrontation being so disappointing, mm. you know, I think in a way is Miyuki commenting on... That very thing, the idea of like, is, is this really what we want as an audience? You know, yeah. that these extreme images and you can kind of charge Miki with being a hypocrite for both, sh- you know, clearly crafting these disturbing images mm. and then sort of commenting about the audience's attraction to it. But I think that what gets him off the hook in in this uh this uh, interpretation is that he's not saying it's good or bad you know it just like the characters like nobody ever comments on kakihara being twisted other than hey we don't want to be in the room with this like it's going to happen we're going to step away yeah um but no one is is calling him a freak like you know none of these um, you know, whether it's, you know, Anjo or Gigi or Ichi or Kakihara, none of these kind of central characters, even though Anjo is barely seen in the movie, but he looms large over it. Um, that these are all characters that are in some way representative of either the creators of violent filmmaking or the viewers of, of violent filmmaking or even the characters themselves within uh, a horror film or an extreme film mm. that they all play a role in trying to help us kind of dissect what it is about this that we find alluring and appealing. And, you know, maybe at the end of the day, uh, and this is my own takeaway from it is that me case is sort of saying like, I don't know that it's good or healthy, but we all have this attraction. And by at least seeing this play out on film, there is something kind of reptile brain in us that is satisfied, you know? Yeah, and it's a strange one, isn't it? Because when it's fictional, I feel satisfied by it. When it's, when it's real, I'm totally repulsed. Like I went through a phase of watching some of these real gore videos of some really horrific shit, to be honest. Like, uh, you know, uh, I think one of them was a guy cutting his wife's head off because she cheated on him, and it's and it's filmed. And then there was another guy who'd been set on fire for apparently stealing potatoes. I don't know what he'd done, but whatever he'd, whatever he'd done, you know, in South Africa, throwing covering him in petrol and setting him on fire. And there's nothing fucking satisfying in watching something that's real happen like that. I mean, I'm sure there is for some people, but for me, like, I, I literally can't watch stuff like that anymore. Yeah, I'll still continually almost search for that kind of high fictionally in fake stuff and that's it's a strange one isn't it really because you think you get more satisfaction from it being real if you've got like a sick thing that needs to be fulfilled but it's not like i'm only interested if it's fake i don't know how you feel 
Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same way. Like, I can't even watch those videos. I'm, I'm no. such a soft touch. Uh, you know, I, I injured myself, not, not seriously, but enough that the pain has lingered for a few weeks trying yeah. to rescue a kitten. Really? You know, yeah. So that's the kind of person at the end of the day that, you know, I like to believe I am. Yeah, yeah. But it's also within me is also the capacity to enjoy a movie like Strange Circus which involves a woman's son basically or a woman's daughter becoming a man so that he or she can seek vengeance on the woman who, you know, cut up her father Mm. and held him in a cello case for years while (laughs) she had sex with other people, you know, like I I still find that stuff compelling. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think you're right. I think as viewers of this stuff, there is the question uh, that I think E.G. the killer is asking is what is it about this that's alluring and what does it say about us? Like, are are we all secretly sadists and masochists to one degree or another? And it's, it's just a question of how real we want that to be. Yeah, and I think there is a connection as well between this kind of horrific violence and sexual acts because, I mean, me and Duncan have talked about this on doing the Nasty um, show. There is a website that you can go on that shows all these realist, you know, these real death scenes and real kind of gore videos. And, I, and I'm not going to say what it is because I don't really want to plug it. But on that particular website, you know, you have adverts running down the side of a page. They're all really violent, hardcore porn of women being beaten and slapped and fucking raped in the mouth. And you think that's a really strange combination that when you log onto a site to watch horrible scenes of war and real violence, that the advertisements on that page are also quite violent sex sites. So there is that fucking very weird connection for people that are obviously are into watching real stuff, probably get a little bit turned on by it. And that's really fucking disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. It, it's, yeah, it, I, it, and that's kind of why I think Ichi the Killer is such a unique and kind of special movie. Yeah. Is that it's not just about the imagery. I mean, and that's certainly like you can't watch this movie without having two or three or four things that are just like, well, that's stuck in my head now. That's a thing that exists in my brain as a thing I've seen and I won't <laughs> forget it soon. Totally. Yeah. But at this... it's weird because this is a movie that I don't consider. I mean, I, I, from you know, if I can step outside of myself and kind of as, as someone like looking into this movie and see that it is horrendously violent, but it's not the kind of film I find particularly disturbing. Probably because I've watched it a good few times. But if I kind of found a horror noob who would never really watched that many horror films, and I said, "Yeah, give this a watch," I think they'd be fucking horrified because it, yeah. it is pretty strong stuff, really. And like you say, there are some scenes in this that once you've seen it. You know, you're not really going to forget the scene of him cutting his tongue off, you know, pouring boiling hot oil onto a guy's back. Like, that's, you know, it's, it's up there with some of the kind of most violent imagery, I think, available in uh, Japanese cinema. Because I think it's because it's quite realistic, and a lot of Japanese cinema is very over-the-top and cartoony, some of it. And obviously this isn't... Some of it is, but, you know, like the the oil-burning scene is, is fucking real. And, uh, yeah, it stays with you. Yeah, I mean, on this show, we've this season we've talked about Tokyo Gore Police, which is a ridiculously over the top movie, and you can't yeah. ever feel like 
that imagery is all that disturbing because of how cartoonish it is. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, next season, I'm, uh, I, I believe we're doing, uh, Frankenstein girl versus, uh, vampire girl or vampire girl versus Frankenstein girl, which is of that same ilk. It, it, it's a yeah. very silly movie, but it, it's also a lot of fun. It, it's just, and it's culturally interesting to me as well, but mm. something like EG the killer goes beyond that to, to be, yeah, you're right. You can't, you can't recommend this to a, to uh, like someone new to horror films. No. This is sort of that thing you get to after you've been watching horror movies for a while and have become desensitized. Yeah, it's a bit like watching, going, uh, showing someone kind of a Holocaust and Serbian film and they've not really ever watched anything else. Like, where do you go from there? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, you know, at a certain point, I no longer want to be shocked. I just want to be scared. Yeah. Um, when I, when I watch horror movies now. But I'll take shocking in a pinch. And, you know, I don't know what that necessarily says about me uh, psychologically. And, you know, it, it's sort of a stereotype, but I think it's true that most horror fans and horror directors and that that kind of thing uh, that you meet are just some of the nicest people in the world. Like, you would mm. never presume that the person that you're speaking with who is telling you, you know, how much fun they have collecting things and all the people that they meet at conventions or how much, you know, what if, or even directors who talk about what scares them and and it's terribly mundane stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think it's escapism. I think it it totally is. You know, I'm not, I mean, it's, there's, there's people I work with that watch a film like this and be absolutely horrified and probably think I was a complete sicko, but it isn't like that at all. You know, it's like, I think horror fans are quite misunderstood in that way. Yeah, I agree. And, but you know, Miki's meditation on that idea, you know, and this is a guy who did like, you know, the, the happiness of the Katakuris and, you know, certainly audition and he was like audition hit with a, a bang and this, this follows on the heels of that. Mm. And I think he was kind of known even at the time of the making of Ichi the Killer as a director that, that embraced shocking imagery. Mm, and yeah. I think, I, I think part of why this movie is the way it is, is Miki kind of working through that himself, you know, of like, yes, I do this, but is it because I'm aroused by it? Is it because I feel like that's part of the story? Is it because I want to get a laugh out of it? Because, you know, some of the violence in this movie is kind of funny. Like there's the scene where uh, the guy they're hunting um, throws a punch at uh, Kakihara and he has removed his piercings and like catches the guy's fist in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. And it's it like, it's a striking scene. It's one of those things that uh, I think about when I think about this movie, yeah. but it's really silly compared to a lot of the other stuff that happens in this film. Yeah. But it kind of needed to happen because otherwise there's no real reason for him to have those piercings. Like we need that scene to kind of go, ah, okay. That's, that's, that's what he's capable of then when he takes those out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but yeah, it, it's a fascinating movie to pick apart because I, you know, Miki, as we talked about when we were talking about audition, like the guy makes a couple of movies a year, Mm. you know, he is, he is a director that's got, if not a hundred, right at a hundred films in his filmography. It's incredible, really. Yeah. And, and the fact that even some of them are this good is kind of astounding, you know, like in addition to, this and audition and happiness of the katakuris and uh like movies like gozu yeah uh, visitor q is incredible and then later uh you know movies like 13 assassins and 
uh oh god what is it uh tokyo but, something django good the bad and the weird is a strange one that he's done as well yeah like he's this that sort of thing i mean the guy is just all over the place with the kind of stories that interest him but he also seems to reflexively ruminate on his own work in his movies. Yeah. And it, it's fascinating to see. And uh, again, I think that, you know, perhaps I speak for you when I say this is a movie that is difficult to recommend to someone. You, you sort of have to know their, you know, their curriculum vitae. It's an acquired taste, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you can't, you just can't launch someone into this without a warning. Like you, you probably need to sit with them and hold their hand literally <laughs> yeah. and just give them that comforting squeeze when something horrible happens and say like, no, 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 we'll, we'll talk about this when it's over and maybe it's not as bad as you think it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's at the same time, if you are of a certain stripe of viewer in that extreme imagery is not going to bother you and you can enjoy this movie on a purely purient level of, you know, here's all this violence and, and, and so forth. And if, if that's what gets you off, then that's what gets you off. And I think this movie comments on that. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think it's a deeper movie than that, that that's more about, you know, like if the movie were about gladiators in Rome, it would be the same movie in a different setting. And I think the themes would still apply. You know, it is that part of ourselves that for hundreds of years, you know, we, we, as, as civilized as we like to think we are, there is always part of us that enjoys the fight. Well, that's the thing is as well, everybody's capable of violence. Like not everybody will ever, will ever, sorry, ever carry out that kind of violence in their life. But every single person on this planet is capable of horrendous acts aren't they? So it is in there, you know, you've got that capability as a human being. And there is that strange thing that that you sometimes just want to see something really horrific. And for me, like I said earlier, it is just an escapism. It doesn't mean you fucked up in the head or you twisted or there's anything wrong with you. Every now and again, you just want to be shocked because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a break from the norm. And it's a nice fantasy break from the norm, isn't it? Like I say, it's not real. I don't want to see anything real horrendously happen to someone. But every now and again, I just want to step away from reality and just watch something a bit fucking crazy. And uh, this is the film that does it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So just a couple of places this movie has been banned uh, as we wrap this up. Uh, Norway, for sure. Okay. Um, Malaysia. (laughs) Right. Uh, Germany. Wow. Still. Um, it is, it's banned for distribution, but private possession is legal. God. Okay. Strange. Cause Norway and Germany are very progressive countries. So I'm surprised they've got those kind of tight censorship laws cause they are, they're, they're pretty advanced as a nation, I think. Yeah. But even for Germany, they were like, you know what? Maybe not this one. <laughs> I don't think you can get it uncut in England though. Um, I, I had to get an import from America to get the uncut version. So even in the UK, you can't you can't get a completely uncut version. Yeah, that's really the benefit of living in the states is that uh, our government cares so little about our children. Um, <laughs> you, you're just not allowed to see tits in in America. You can be as violent as you want, can't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It 
Yeah, it, and it's only recently that you could get away with like full frontal in an R-rated film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but yeah, but we can get anything we want violently. You know, like necromantic is not a problem, but if one of the people in the movie is alive, then it's porn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <How laughs> fucking bizarre is that? Right. <laughs> so, uh, any final thoughts uh, before we wrap her up here? No, I think I've. Uh... Yeah, I think I've about kind of said it all. It's just one of those movies, like you say, it is an acquired taste. But if you're after something a little bit different, um, I mean, like I say, even if you've not seen this film, I don't think we've really ruined it because there's so much going on. There's so many different characters and back and forth and little twists and kind of you've got the whole twist of the manipulation and all that kind of thing. Give it a watch. See what you think. See if you're as twisted as we are. Excellent. Uh, so that is Ichi the Killer, part erotic treatise on violence, part critique. And all of it insane. Uh, <laughs> big thanks once more to uh, Andy Blockley. As, as we mentioned earlier, you can find him on uh, Big Horror and Little Podcast uh, here on LegionPodcast.com, as well as a frequent contributor to the podcast Under the Stairs with, I think I have this name right, Duncan McLeish. Yeah, uh, close enough. And uh, as well as doing The Nasty, which is a, a fantastic show. And if I may... Uh, plug something very specific. The recent episode of the podcast Under the Stairs on uh, Cujo mm. uh, is is maybe the best discussion I've ever heard about that film. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, I've not listened to that back, actually. I've got that lined up uh, for this week at work to give that one a listen back. Yeah, it's it's a very fun show and, uh, and, and defends a movie that even I don't necessarily think is one of my favorites in the King oeuvre. Yeah. Uh, but it... You know, to echo something I, I believe I saw someone say on Facebook, that discussion was so good it made me want to go back and watch Cujo again and, and rethink if I'd maybe gotten that wrong. Oh, wow. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so well done. Well done, you. Thank you. Um, all right, so if you want to check out uh, Hero Hero Go Show in all its forms, um, legionpodcasts.com is where you can, uh, you can find the page with all the back episodes. You can also find us on... Uh, Google Play under the legionpodcasts.com feed. Uh, you can also find it on iTunes, both uh, in the Legion feed and on its own. Uh, on Facebook, you can find it uh, at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hero Hero Go Show. And finally, uh, if you would like to uh, drop us a line and uh, ask a question or recommend a film, you can do that at Hero Hero at legionpodcasts.com. A uh, word about that. Uh, there was a little bit of a problem with that email address. So if you send something in, it got get back to you. Uh, send that again, and and it'll be fine. So sorry about that. Um, all right. Next week uh, will be our penultimate episode of season one, and uh, I don't even want to give it away. It's going to be um, bizarre. Is that right? The right word? Um, fundamentally unhinged is maybe better. So uh, check back next week uh, for that one. I think you're going to enjoy it. And for now, uh, a final thanks to Andy Blockley. Uh, say goodnight, sir. Yeah, thank you so much, man. I've had, a, I've had a good time. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. And now as much Molise as I can legally play you. Good night. Good night.